0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 14, Chapter 14 of War and Peace. Why do you think Pierre started to think of the small? Cool. I love getting the hiccups just as I start a podcast. Oh, I love that. I love it. Why do you think Pierre started to think of the Smolensk figures during Platon's final moments... How do you think Pierre has changed throughout the book? How do you think he would have reacted to this scene earlier? Acoustic Ears says, Oof. Oof. Why did this death scene hit me harder than Petcha's? I forgot about this one too. Yeah. um, It's maybe, I think, maybe the saddest death in the book. Maybe second... (coughs) Second only to poor Lisa, but that seems so f- so long ago now. Rad, I lost. ready Rattle Jost says this chapter was really interesting as I thought about how I also might I also might have reacted. Bear must have had a pretty good idea about what was going to happen. Given Karatev's condition, he put up mental blockers to avoid the pending emotional pain. Not very heroic, but very heartbreaking, and causes me. To- to be introspective. The sick- I haven't had hiccups all day, by the way. It's literally started a second or two after I hit record. Oh. It's like my my body is trying to sabotage my podcast. Oh. Twisted Everybody says, that was sad. In a way, Karatev's Death was sadder than ever even some of our principal characters, Pierre ignoring the look was about survival and it's somewhat understandable, but it was heartbreaking. All right, let's read the chapter because I have to keep this one short. You don't want to listen to me hiccup. I don't want to do this again. What's well, short short chapter? No, it's not. Chapter 15. Oh, it's pretty short. It goes like this. The stores, the prisoners and the marshal's baggage train stopped at the village of Shamshevo. The men crowded together around the campfires. Pierre went up to the fire, ate some roast horse flesh, lay down with his back to the fire and immediately fell asleep. He again slept as he had done at Moshaisk after the Battle of Borodino. Again, real events mingled with dreams and again, someone he or another gave expression to his thoughts and even to the same thoughts that had been expressed in his dream at Moshaisk. Life is everything. Life is good. God. Everything changes and moves, and that moment movement is God. And while there is life, there is joy in consciousness of the divine. divine. To love life is to love God. Harder and more blessed than all else is to love this life in one's sufferings. In innocent sufferings. Karataev came to Pierre's mind. And suddenly he saw vividly before him a long-forgotten, kindly old man who had given him geography lessons in Switzerland. Wait a bit, said the old man, and showed Pierre the, a glo- globe. This globe was alive, a vibrating ball without fixed dimensions. Its whole surface consisted of drops close, closely pressed together, and all these drops moved and changed places, ex- sometimes several of them merging into one, sometimes one dev- Dividing into many. Each drop tried to spread out and occupy as much space as possible, but others, striving to do the same, compressed it, sometimes destroyed it, and sometimes merged with it. That is life, said the old teacher. How simple and clear it is, thought Pierre. How is it? I did not know this before. God is in the midst, and each drop tries to expand so as to reflect him to the greatest extent, and it grows, merges, (laughs) disappears from the surface, sinks to the depths, and again emerges. There now Karateev spread out and disappeared. Do you understand, my child? said the teacher. Do you understand, damn you? shouted a voice, and Pierre woke up. He lifted himself and s- sat up. A Frenchman who had just pushed a Russian soldier away was squatting by the fire, engaged in roasting a piece of meat s- stuck on a ramrod. His sleeves were rolled up, and his sinewy, hair, hairy red hands with their short fingers deftly turned the ramrod. His brown, morose face was frowning. Brows was clearly visible by the glow of the charcoal. "'It's all the same to him,' he muttered, turning quickly to a soldier who stood beside him. "'Brigand, get away!' And twisting the ramrod, he looked gloomily at Pierre, who turned away and gazed into the darkness. A prisoner, the Russian soldier, the Frenchman, had pushed away, was sitting near the fire, patting something with his hand. Looking more closely, Pierre recognised <coughs> the blue-grey dog, "'sitting beside the soldier wagging its tail. "'Ah, he's come,' said Pierre. "'And Plat, he began but did not finish. "'Suddenly and simultaneously a crowd of memories awoke in his fancy "'of the look Platon had given him as he sat under the tree, "'of the shot her- heard from that spot, "'of the dog's howl and the guilty faces of the two Frenchmen "'as they ran past him, "'of the lowered and smoking gun, "'and of Caraté's absence at this halt. "'And he was on the point of realising that Caraté had been killed, "'but just just at that instant he knew not why the recollection came to his mind of a summer evening he had spent with a beautiful Polish lady on the veranda of his house in Kiev, and without linking up the events of the day or drawing a conclusion from them, Pierre closed his eyes, seeing a vision of the country in summertime, summertime mingled with memories of bathing and of liquid, vibrating globe, and he sank into water so that it closed over his head. Before sunrise, he was awakened by shouts and loud and rapid-firing. French soldiers were running past him. The Cossacks, one of them shouted. And a moment later, a crowd of Russians surrounded Pierre. For a long time, he could not understand what was happening to him. All around, he heard his comrades sobbing with joy. Brothers, dear fellows, darlings, all soldiers exclaimed, weeping as they embraced Cossacks (coughs) and Hussars. The Hussars and Cossacks crowded around the prisoners. One offered them clothes, another boots, and a third bread. Pierre sobbed as he sat among them, and could not utter a word. He hugged the first soldier who approached him, and kissed him, weeping. Dolokhov stood at the gate of the ruined house, letting a crowd of disarmed Frenchmen pass by. The French, excited by all that had happened, were talking loudly and amongst themselves, but as they passed Dolikov, who gently switched his boots with his whip and watched them with cold glassy eyes that boded no good, they became silent. On the opposite side stood Dolikov, Dolokov's Cossack, counting the prisoners and marking off each hundred with a chalk line on the gate. How many, Dolikov asked the Cossack. The second hundred, replied the Cossack. Files, Files, get going, get along, get along, Dolokhov kept saying, having adopted this expression from the French, and when his eyes met those of the prisoners, they flashed with a cruel light. Denisov bareheaded and with a gloomy face walked behind some Cossacks who were carrying the body of Petya Rostov to a hole that had been dug in the garden. Alright, that's that Chapter. Not a very good reading today today for obvious reasons, my apologies, but it's late at night and I need to get to bed so I can't be waiting around for these hiccups to stop. So unfortunately, that's the best we can do. Anyway, good chapter anyway. Thanks for listening, I'll see you tomorrow.